Del Santos. Yeah, yeah. Rory O'Toole. Three it's, in a row, baby. It is currently March 7th, 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, we like to change up the podcast every once in a while. So this one is going to be the most obscure Straight of Straight from the Yaris, boy. We are going to be, so we're currently in Palo Alto. We just finished is watching. anyone else doing it from a Yaris? We just finished no watching the game in Palo Alto. And we're currently driving back to Berkeley. And we thought, you know, we got about 40 minutes of time to kill. Why not talk about the game right now? Why not authentic, commentary. authentic, live from the source? Like when you're hours, in the car with your it. boys after a game, you guys, you're gonna get a true recap of what happened. You're gonna hear me confused as to where I'm going as I'm as I'm driving back yeah. to Berkeley. You might hear but, Surrey voice come in here to tell us where to go. You might hear the windshield wipers. You might hear me switching the gears to defrost my car, but you're gonna hear it raw. You're gonna hear the truth. You're gonna hear the rain authentic. coming down. Where do we even start? Asi- aside from the fact that we... Connor are- Vanover is incredible with the braids. We don't know what's in there, but the man had the game of his life. All I'm saying is that ever since he was nicknamed Ghost Braid, he's after been going the Washington off. game, they've won... Th- so, okay, before we get off the rails, let's do a little summary of, of this game. I, okay, I'm driving right now. I don't have the score sheet in front of me, but... I know for Neither a fact. I. I know for a fact that Cal won this game. I think it was 64 59. 64-59. Yep. They are now eight and twenty-two on the season. They've won three games in a, after losing sixteen games in a row, and going two months without a win. They have won three in their last eight days. Just want to mention a stat very quickly relating to that point I just made of how Cal won three games in their last eight days. According to Ken Pomeroy, the, the mighty Ken Pomeroy that me and Rory constantly referred to throughout the duration of this podcast, Cal was the first team this century to win its last three conference games after going over, so over whatever, up to that point. We didn't know it at the time. We knew it after recording the podcast, but we just wanted to give you that little snippet of information. Back to the program. Connor Vanover with a career-high 24 points, makes five threes, blocks six shots. I'm pretty sure the six made blocks are a career-high as well. Uh, Justice Suing had a really well all-around game. I think he had 10 points, nine rebounds, four assists. Casey Paula had a decent game, 21 points. But Stanford, they started uh, hitting one of the yellows. They hitting one of the yellows. It's, it's that purgatory right between there. do I go for it and yeah. do I go See, this is the true unfiltered commentary true. that you come for. Yeah. But Stanford started the game by missing their first 21 three-pointers. That's and, bad for And when you hear that, you're thinking, okay, it's going to be a relative, it's going to be a blowout. You can't miss 21, your first 21 three-point attempts and expect to win. But and they, it wasn't close for a time. We were up by... They were up by as much as 26. Yeah. They were up double digits for most of the game. But then Cal gets super complacent in their offensive sets down the stretch. They, mm-hmm. you know, they run these, like, they're trying to kill clock. It's turning into we don't want to win, but we're, we're trying not to lose. One of those types of vibes. Yep. There's a lot of possessions where dribble out for the re- for most of the clock and then some isolated shot that's not a good look. I felt as if there's a certain point that Van- Vanover did finish with a career-high 24 points, but 18, add more. 18 of them came in the first half, and it felt like he was – not getting frozen out to say, but he wasn't as involved in the offense later down the stretch. 
Well, they kind of stashed them in a corner there. And, and that, they weren't running many ball screens or off-ball actions. It was kind of five out. Just uh, Paris or Darius just try to make something happen and get to the line. And then, you know, once Stanford finally makes their first three-pointer, I believe it was Marcus Sheffield who made Stanford's first three at the four-minute mark. Then they just start knocking him down. Cormac Ryan hits a couple of shots. The crowd- Cormac Ryan hit some shots? He did it. He at- After starting like 0 of 100. Prior to contrary belief, he actually did wow. hit a couple of three-pointers. I'm, I'm shocked. All I remember is just clanks. Just Definitely bricks. was a lot of clanks to start the game. Yeah. But it was it was a very strange game. There was there was a point when one of the referees sort of twisted his ankle after a Cal player and a Stanford player. Okay, I'm actually We're making the yellow! We made the yellow. If this isn't true and unfiltered podcast, I don't know what is. Actually, I need to slow down for a second. I'm not sure. This is getting a little dark. Yeah, yeah, Okay, actually. You're not going to San Jose? Yeah, I'm going to San Francisco. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, we're not going south. So, it was a weird game, too. Because there was like a referee who kind of got injured when a Cal player and a Stanford player were diving for a loose ball. Yeah, and like that collided was wild. with his ankle. Paris Austin came up limping after like his ankle was in in question for a little bit. His status was questioned, but he did come in a couple minutes later. So yeah, I thought the game might stop after that ref got injured because I I don't think they have bench guys for <laughs> they don't have a six man for the referees. So so it was an overall strange game. Yeah, but. You know, after okay. cut in front of this dude, and he's he had his blinker cut on. Cut in front of this dude. On. This is our road. <laughs> we just went three in a row, boy. Well, I'm gonna have to turn on. It's still a little with this combination of the rain. Dude, and I the love dark, it. I'm gonna have to throw them on the high beams a little bit in a quick second. This is great. You're you're in the inner monologue of a. Uh... In the meantime, I'll continue. Um, yeah, please go for so, it. So this game. Cal's defense played really well. They were uh, really sharp with the rotations. Everyone was communicating out on the floor. People knew who to let to shoot, who not, who to close out on. But um, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that Stanford just had a really bad shooting night because this was absurdly bad. To miss 21 of your first three-pointers is just... No one's expecting that going into a game, so... I do feel like Cal benefited from some luck in that sense, but on the offensive end, Vanover set the tone. Matt Bradley had a great game. He was looking really confident out there, uh, diving for loose balls, doing a lot of the little things. So Cal definitely benefited from some luck, but they also made their own. So it was a it was a probably their best performance of the season, I'd say. I would I'm say most impressed. I would say it was their best performance from. Uh, a pure, we're gonna stick in this type of game. Like we're gonna fight, and we're gonna, yeah, we're not gonna be overblown by the moment. But from like an execution perspective, I think that's a little debatable. As I did say, they, that is true. There was a lot of, there was a, a lot of moments in which it felt as if they were playing. But not for Cal lose. standards, that's not bad. For what we had functional offense for a half. That's yeah. pretty good and in the Viking Jones era. Sometimes all you need is just one really good half of basketball, and that'll yeah. do it. But and the last game we played against Stanford was super, super close, and yeah, that was one of our better performances of the season. So th- this was a good matchup for us, and the difference here was Apollo just did not get going for Stanford. Yeah, I felt as if he was quiet. He was forcing the issue a little bit. 
know, he did finish with, I believe, 21 points. He was doing off-pollet things. But when it came to drives, it felt as if there was always someone in the lane to contest him. Well, what was – their offense was almost worse than Cal's as far as, ex, like, what they were doing execution-wise and actions. I didn't see much of anything at all. It was, it was pretty bad. It was pretty shocking how inept they were on the offensive end. And as we were saying, like, there definitely needs to be some credit given to Cal. You know, Vanover did have the – six blocks but Harris Austin played really well as well uh he got out of control at times I felt like he was forcing it but he also I'd say overall it was a pretty good performance for him 15 points four assists two steals he was out there you remember uh, that off top yeah I remember that he also had three uh three turnovers which he does not want us to remember but yeah I did feel as if <laughs> especially in the first half when Connell was really cooking and he had the 18 points I felt as if Paris was forcing the issue in a sense yeah there were especially in the first half there was a couple of isolation plays and there was one three possessions in a row where he's just forcing it yeah and it was it felt a little strange it felt very out of body for Paris as someone who typically ensures that the team is running on all cylinders and everything smooth but I would say just from a a gutsy perspective, from a fight perspective, and you know, you know all those loaded emotional words. It was definitely a great, great win for Cal, especially because when Stanford did in start Stanford, their, no less. This is the we first. Forget that. This is their first time winning two games in a row in Stanford, and I will since I think '85 and '86. Wow. I know that Mara sent us a text, and I don't. I, I'm, wow. I might have to double check that, but it's definitely it was sometime in the '80s. So wow, it's definitely been a while since it's happened. And I, I remember last year too. This game definitely had similar vibes, except on the, the flip side of things, because it was Stanford last year who had the big lead. I think they were up by as much as 17 points, and then Cal comes climbing back and climbing back. Suing hits the big and one plus makes the free throw. Reed Travis misses the game tying three pointer. And it, in a way, it felt like it was like Cal was going to be on the receiving end of that. They went up big. They'd slowed down drastically. The combination of regressing to the mean and then running these very pedestrian. Darius McNeil sets. was almost the choke artist of this game. Yeah, it was not the greatest game. He missed in the world two free throws McNeil. with like 40 seconds left, and he was like 0 of 8 from the field, 0 of 3 or something from the free throw line. Yeah, I believe he finished. He finished with no points. 0 of 7, I believe, from the field. 0 of 3 from 3. Yeah. 0 of 3 from the line. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I think I can say without question that, A, I don't think he's ever finished scoreless before, and, B, that's probably the worst game of his Cal career and one he's going to want to bury soon. But... He avoided that status, yeah. though. <laughs> he almost yeah, yeah, got he, it. He, he did miss the two free throws late, but... Thanks to that nice baseline uh, pick up cut brother. by uh, Vanover. And yeah. The, like 30 seconds left to kind of seal it. That play was re- it was reminiscent of the and one that Suing hit last year to sort of ice the game, and then Vanover has an and one this year to ice the game. Yeah, it wasn't exactly the same play because Suing like came off a of Marcus Lee screen, hits a left-handed layup. I think it was Akpala who got called for the foul last year. This one was more of just Suing setting up his teammate. Yeah, but to stay on the idea, but to stay on the matter of uh, Suing, you were. Especially early on, because he was really stuffing the stats early on, grabbing a lot of rebounds, dishing out a lot of assists. And this is sort of the point that you've spoken to a couple times this season, the idea of 
allow him to initiate the offense, allow him to have the ball in his hands outside of a scoring role. Point suing! And we saw Make it happen. We've seen glimmers of what can happen when you give suing the ball and allow him to be a playmaker. And, you know, nights like this are a great example of what good things can happen when he takes over that playmaking role. Yeah. I mean, I think he does everything Paris Austin is, like, supposed to do. But you get the added bonus of he gets to the line and he can score in the lane like that. So Plus he's 6'8". Yeah. As opposed to Austin being 6'8". Yeah, yeah, exactly. That isn't, so, to, that isn't to say that Austin doesn't... No, I think if you just swap the suing for Austin, it would just be the same. You know, Austin, he is this team's emotional and spiritual leader. When he went down with that little ankle sprain or whatever it was, my immediate thought was they're going to have to play this game without Austin. But then he comes back in a minute later, and I'm yeah. like, that's a kid from East Oakland. That's a kid that's tough. Yeah. No, that, that was awesome to see. He, uh, he wanted to stay in the game. He did not want to come out. But I just feel like Suey at least, like, split it a little more. Because I don't know if you notice this. Sometimes it feels like Justice is calling for the ball, and Paris kind of looks him off like waves him away and then Justice kind of goes waits on the wing and sits that possession out so I think Justice would like to have the ball in his hands a little bit more sometimes so maybe you know mix it up a little bit have Suing take it up or run some actions where he's kind of facilitating more than just being a scorer and that's at this point in his career that's probably the next stage of his game is to sort of become a little more of that playmaker and then in addition to improving the handle, improving the jump shot. These are things that sort of come with time. And I think we can also pivot to Vanover as well. You know, fellow uh, Cal beat writer Ben Parker always alludes to how he believes that Connor is a legitimate NBA prospect. I do have some some reservations. <laughs> you know, while he is 7'3", he's not... He's not exactly like, while he is 7'3 and can shoot, he's not cut from the same cloth of say a Porzingis, who is 7'3 can shoot. He's not as athletic. He definitely needs to bulk up in terms of strength. I do see some times where someone will just drive right at him and maybe float it over him and he doesn't have the capacity to jump and grab that shot just because he's not super bouncy. With that being said, though, when you see a game like tonight, when he's just knocking down three-pointers left and right, unconsciously taking mid-range jumpers and making them, as I may have alluded to, there was that one three on the left wing. Where so I think, nice. I think it was Sharma and Akpala who were just, like, smothering him, and then he just knocks it down, nothing but net. When you see plays like that, you're thinking, if he can just continue to progress, continue to work on various areas of his game, he's going to be a problem. No, you literally cannot guard him. Like, no one can contest his shot. No one, no big man is going to be able to go out with him. It's it's going to be a nightmare for uh, the Pac-12 going forward to deal with Vanover because he's a guy who kind of breaks your game plan as a defense because he's just going to wreck everything you do because he's going to take your big man out of the paint. He's going to splash it on your guards. He's going to grab rebounds. And he's a great free throw shooter too, so you can't foul him. It is the question of how do you, how exactly do you guard someone that's seven three? What personnel do you have to check this? And then by the time he gets up, he goes up for his jump shot. He's about ten feet in the air. As I exactly. alluded to on the last yeah. podcast, there was a possession during that Washington game where 
Connor takes a mid-range jumper, like I believe the right elbow, and then Matisse goes up to contest. And you know, Matisse has made a living off of blocking guards, even blocking big men in that area because he has such great defensive instincts and because he has that reported seven-foot wingspan. And then he could do nothing with it. And so if <laughs> if the best shot, if one of the best shot blockers, at least in terms of guards, can't block you, then who is? And I I still think that he is going to need to bulk up. I've mentioned to you that he's going to need to become more of, instead of a, an athletic rim protector, someone that makes his money sort of on instincts and knowing where to knowing where to position his feet. That's an area of his game that he still needs to improve. Obviously, the strength, he's going to continue to get bullied by you know the Josh Sharms of the world if he stays at his current weight. But in terms of promise, in terms of what you could expect out of a 7'3 freshman... I think he's definitely, even though the numbers on paper, you know, he's up, he's probably only averaging eight points at this point in time. Well, you got to look at the splits, like what he's yeah, averaging his last like five or six games. I'm sure it's upwards of 12 or 13 points. I think there's that uh, potential for Stanford to be his team. And what I mean, just feast on. that he just feasts on because when they played on Super Bowl Sunday, you know how we feel about that. But when, when Cal and Stanford played on Super Bowl Sunday, he had 15 points off the bench. That was a career high. Now he follows that up with 24 points and a start. And, you know, that rivalry, you know, the juices get flowing. And it's also the question of who's going to check him because Josh Sharm is a senior. This was actually his senior night. And so going forward, Stanford, at least right now, doesn't have someone to check him. So maybe Stanford's just one of those teams that is going to bring out the best in Connor. Rivals always bring out the best in I remember how this is a super random memory, but I remember how Jerry Harrison Jr. always would feast on the Giants. He'd turn into Barry oh Bonds, the right-handed Barry Bonds, and maybe yeah. maybe this is just Connor's team. This is this, it's okay. It's eleven twenty-one at night. I think that's the most obscure reference. I'm that's gonna fantastic. <laughs> that is, man. The baseball references with Justice are always great. I always look forward to those. But I think we need to stop beating around the bush. I think we need to address the the white elephant <laughs> of, of this of this podcast. It's not the fact that Mark J. Spears was there. Uh, that wasn't that. that What's up, Mark? That was a pretty dope moment to just see, to just randomly see Spears there, one of the most respected basketball writers of our time. But Rory, yes, it's the question of Viking Jones. And in the last podcast, our perception is he of the him, new Phil Jackson? <laughs> is he? Our perception of him definitely changed from the last podcast. You know, we definitely had this question of, you know, can two games really change the subsequent or the the 16 that sort of came before it? But, you know, Cal has now won three games in a row. And I think this is a question that's not just worth glossing over as a curiosity. I think it's worth legitimately visiting at this point. Especially because of all of the other factors we considered, and I'm about to merge onto this freeway, so I'm gonna need you to take the wheel real quick. Jesus, take the wheel! Not actually, I'm still driving. I'm still the one who's driving. Nah, he's texting and driving. He's terrible. Texting and driving down my Highland Drive. Um, oh, okay. Fucking escalates. Come on. Drivers in the South Bay don't know how to drive. Jeez. Drivers in the Bay in general don't know how to drive. Okay. Anyway, time to steer the anyway, ship. Anyway, sorry, we almost got killed, decapitated. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't... I still think... 
it's going to be a conversation. It's not a done deal at this point that he's coming back, but... Because I think... To come back from where he was, to where we had a, you know, Andrew... See, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. A season ticket holder telling us that, hey, I'm not going to renew my season tickets if Wykin comes back. I think a large part of the fan base still feels that way and is stubbornly going to hold on to that. But... I think Jim Nolan has to look at this and say, these guys are playing super hard. They've looked really impressive. They're talking about love all the time. That's I another feel like thing. I'm at a Tony Robbins like <laughs> get-together. Uh, I don't know. It, it kind of the vibe that I'm getting from where we were to where we are now. Of course, when you're winning, it all feels great. But there is a different energy now with Viking and the program that I would not be shocked if he came back. Yeah, I can I agree as well. At this point in the season, just considering all that's happened in the last 3 games and how you know, we can't get too micro. We have to do we do have to take a step back because you know, we do have to consider the larger numbers. Cal still has a winning percentage in the 20s since Viking has taken over as head coach. This is only their fifth conference win since he's taken over as head coach. It's only the second time they've won three games in a row since he's taken over as head coach. But in terms of... I hate to sound like a scout, but in terms of all of the intangible things that you look for in a team and you know some of the, the, the various intricacies that you look for when you want to commit to a team is, do the, is there a winning... Not necessarily in this case a winning environment, but is there an environment winning attitude? Winning, I guess a winning hard. attitude that's being harbored, and you know it's it's hard to say that after just you know three games in a row because any team can win three. But games But they in have a row. been competing in a lot of these losses, like. And then you could easily flip that UCLA game into a win. That's uh-huh. like all like all that's all Stanford of the, at home. The two the two Stanford games both last year and this year could have flipped to wins. Uh huh. So there definitely have been a lot of close calls, but I'm still sort of on I'm still on the same perspective that I was after the last podcast, which is just very confusing. I'm like I'm, I'm kind of oscillating back. <laughs> he needs and to forth. go into the woods and like think about things. For because a here's weeks. here's my biggest thing. It's as we've seen with with UCLA. It's not just about talent. You have to have the ability to harbor. A culture that in which the players want to come and compete, the players want to be there and practice every day and give it their all. The players want to give all their effort on the floor. And yes, we can admit that tactically speaking, the Bears haven't been the best. Some of that can be attributed to the players they have. Some of that can be attributed to the coaches they have. But in terms of being able to build up this environment, how many teams, not even in just the Pac-12, in college basketball could actually say, or could actually experience losing to this degree and still have that positive culture? And as you were saying, like, you were, you had the question of what would their bus rides be on, like, on the way back? And you, I think, I think both, it's pretty hyphy right now. I think they're probably getting lit on the, the bus right juice. now. Is being drunk right now. Plus, uh, playing a little SOB. Oh, I hope playing so. Playing Blau. I hope so. A little tell me when to go. One can only hope they respect We're the soil. <laughs> this isn't even a Cal basketball podcast anymore. Nah, this is a, this this is a, a big this on the roof podcast. Um, well, let's break it down. We beat the number 25th ranked team in the nation. 
Number one in the Pac-12. One of the best defenses in the country with Matisse Thibel. Potential, like, you know. Potential. Probably one of the best four or five guys on the West Coast. Yeah, I've seen him. Regardless of conference. I've seen him as a second-round pick at this point in time. Yeah. His offensive game does leave some to be desired, but how many... He's how like many the Andre Roberson of the NCAA. <laughs> this is a side note. I actually looked this up, so at least as far back as as sports reference goes. This is just a side tangent. I'll get through this quickly. But at least as far as sports this reference goes... This will connect goes, to a baseball reference very deep. The only There's only been three players to average three steals and two blocks, at least as far as sports reference goes in college. One of those players only played one game, and I, I think he played for Army. I want to know who this man was. Why did he only one... Coach K. Why did at he West only, Point. Why did he only play one game? How did he? How did he accumulate he was three steals in two blocks in that game? How did he not get more runs? Coach run? K buys the refs off. We talked are, about this. These are the questions I need answered. Anyway, let's go back to it. So they Hashtag they beat Washington. They beat Washington State. They beat Stanford in Stanford. They're going into the Pac-12 tournament, making some noise. They're the epitome of the team that you don't want to play, the young team that doesn't know better, that doesn't want to die, that doesn't want to say, that doesn't want to quit. And. But yeah, no, yeah. I mean, we. <laughs> like, just looking at the last three games, you beat one of the 25 best teams in the country. You beat a team that you lost to by 30 earlier in the season in front of six people in Pullman. Okay? I mean, to come back and beat, like, usually that's a psychological dead zone. If you lose to someone by 30, you're going to lose again. It's very rare you see someone come back from that. And then we go to Stanford, rivalry game. They beat us in heartbreaking fashion last time. Off of, at Haas. Off a stupid charge call. Ban the charge. Are you looking at, you looking at the charge six of them Okay, I think it's worth noting, though, Matt Bradley did take one of the bolder charges. And he had one of the best season. flops I've seen this year. <laughs> See, Truly a master lesbian. A tale of two ends. So on one end, he, I think Bryce Wills was going at like 80, 90% speed, and then he just barrels into Bradley. Bradley takes a pretty yeah, know, nasty a charge. charge. And then in the second half, the flop to end all flops. It was magnificent. If Bradley had to ingest some truth serum, he would tell you himself it was a pretty was a pretty Oh, a pretty it was a great flop. performance. It was incredible. On some Marcus Smart levels of flopping it was, there. It was great. I loved it. But anyway, back to the point. But back to the point. So you look at that docket of these past three games. I mean, that's a pretty good case if you're Y-King. If I'm defending Y-King and this is a courtroom, that's a pretty good evidence. Yes, the macro looks bad. But looking at the trends and the teams we've beaten these past three games... I mean, it's pretty good. It's it's. I can't believe I'm saying this. Yeah. But I, I'm I'm starting to kind of buy into it a little bit. There's the tactics. You're right. There's still a lot to be desired, but he's got the guys buying in, and the team does have a camaraderie about them. That, I know we're about to hit traffic. Yeah. Wow. It's 11:30 at night, and we're hitting traffic. That's not good. Anyhow, the Bay Area is LA. Anyhow, my God. So, I don't see... You can't dismiss him now. Before, you could dismiss Viking as a laughingstock of college basketball. Now, you cannot. Now, I'd say it's about 50-50 when it was like 
in terms of what? Earlier, of him going, firing. Okay. Him going, him staying. I feel like he was going. It was 80-20, leaning he was going to get fired. Now I'd say it's almost 60-40, 50-50. This definitely feels like one of those instances in which winning heals. Not all ills, but it definitely helps. Because I mean, you can't overrate beating Stanford, too. That is That's true. That's a huge thing for alumni and just for the program. Because it is worth noting that, you know, that culture of, you know, just a very tight-knit team, that was there even when they were losing. But it's like, yeah. okay, you have a culture, but you're still losing. But now you're sort of acu accumulating these little wins. You're getting some confidence. The players are showing signs of progression. But then you, I think I think we need to reel back a little bit and just remember everything that we had complained about previously and ask ourselves the question, do three games eliminate everything that we've talked about for, what, the prior 25, 26? No, it doesn't. But it does change the variables. It does... It does matter. And I think that's why it's 50-50. Like, there's... Still could go. He could still easily get fired, and it'd be totally legitimate for him to get fired. But you can't. Anyone who's watched these past three games and been around the team knows that there's something different right now. It feels different beyond just the winning. There really is a something of that feeling that these puzzle pieces are kind of coming together a little bit for this team. And I think something that's always interesting to watch, whenever you can is the bench. Yeah. Even at the like even at the back end of the bench, I believe that Jacoby didn't even suit up for tonight's game. I think he's out with an injury relating to that Achilles. But then you see sort of the the back end bench guys, they're getting into it. When Connor was cooking, they're like they're on the sidelines, you know, doing their little three-point celebrations. They're getting into it. When Matt drew the charge, they were getting into it and it's it's not easy to develop that culture and to develop that buy-in even when you're losing. So, and e even if Cal was to bring in, you know, another coach, maybe, you know, we've heard a lot of names over the past couple of weeks. Say, for example, just a coach who has like a, fifth, like a 500 record and brought a previous program from a level of low to a level of prominence. It's even at that, it's still hard to instill that culture. You have a team like UCLA under Alford, who, yes, was winning, but in terms of that grand culture and it's the I, the feeling that the players wanted to come to play, it wasn't there. So I don't think that can be underestimated. But then it's, we, you know, there still is the matter of player progression, the matter of tactics, and everything that, everything we previously mentioned is still of a concern. Yeah, I, I mean, think, our number one guy, Juwan Harris Dyson, that's the guy we always look at as from a development perspective. He only played four and a half minutes. That, that could have been a function of just general matchups, but, you know. Not a great sign. Yeah, it's definitely things that we have to consider. And I think while there's no definite yes, he's going to be gone now or no, he's not going to be gone, the conversation does get a little more interesting regarding. Way more interesting. Regarding I mean, what happens. I think a big part of it's going to come down to season ticket holders and donors and what their attitude is. I don't know how closely they've been following these three games or if they already checked out, but if there's more people who are saying, I'm not going to renew my season tickets if you bring back Y King Jones, if there's enough of that block of people, then it's very hard for Jim Nolan to justify keeping Y King around, even 
with how positive things are going. But if things kind of hold steady and Jim wants to ride it out a little bit, I think Viking might survive to fight another day, which would be incredible of where we were, where he was a dead man walking. Time is a flat circle. It really time is. is. Time is a social construct. My time God. is an illusion. It's even just eight, eight days ago, like we had essentially, you know, as I previously mentioned, I had I'd written the article that this team might go winless and you know, I just feel like <laughs> I feel like a, with every subsequent win after I mean that so article, many of our podcasts were discussing Ken Palm percentages on us going winless. Oh, sh- should we check it real quick? Actually, should, I don't even we need check to check that? it. I know should the numbers already. That? Oh, oh, that's a big Oh, oh, that's a zero. That's a big that's oh, a big that's zero. A zero. It's a bagel. Wow. But I think now that Ken Pomeroy come find me in the streets. We <laughs> were talking a lot of junk before. So we, we have talked about just like, you know, these regular season wins and, you know, regular season wins are regular season wins. Any team can just get hot out of nowhere. We have seen some crazy wins this season in the Pac-12. But I think the ultimate way to for Viking to just stay on board is if he wins in Vegas. Even if it's just, even if it's one win and then they get blown out in the next round, if they somehow, after this bad of a season after flirting with being the worst power five conference team in history which side tangent i didn't think they're ever were none of them were like not good but i didn't think they were to that level after flirting with that idea the whole season and the 16 game losing streak which is a program worst to go ahead and then steal a game in vegas i think at that point you have to bring him back which is just yeah at like as those words are coming you think out of you my mouth, have it, to bring him back if he wins a game in Vegas, even if I against don't know. someone like Oregon State or if it's against Oregon State, you have to bring him back because that's wow. Because Oregon State is I mean, one of those teams be that are. With? That's I, I was going to ask you to look that up as we might be matched up with the can Beavers. You, can you actually look that up? Yeah, let me see. Because I think that you know, there's been a lot of shuffling in the standings recently. I think UCLA has been on the up and up as of recently, which means some team is on the downswing. So I'm just thinking it could be like UCLA, could be USC, could potentially be Utah. Um, not It's not going to be Washington or Arizona State. So it's definitely going to be one of those teams. I'm trying to... They don't have it really bracketed yet. Um, just look up the standings and see who's like fifth, sixth, and seventh. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, so you think he has to come back if it's... It's it's such a... It makes the conversation that much more complex because, like, it's a win in Vegas and, like, if we take another, like, just macro view of this game, for Stanford, you know, bad games happen. This is one game... Oh, okay. We got a little truck behind us. Yeah, because they blocked off two of these lanes. The reason why we're in traffic, they blocked off two of the lanes. I believe they're doing some type of construction. I'm actually going to have to get over and merge on to 580 West. But, you know, regular season games, getting punched in the mouth in a regular season game, that does happen. But the tournament is your last chance to, you know, because this isn't just, you know, Vikings' last chance. You know, as we've seen with Stanford, I've heard... So, I just, yeah, we're still the last of, team in conference. You know, their head coach as well. And 
you know, some good juju in the tournament can, like, transfer into the next season as well. And, you know, and the fact that they're going to be matched up against a five seed, too. So, not just winning a tournament game, but getting matched up against one of the five better teams. So, that'd be Colorado. And we saw how that game went last time. It did not go great. It was a weird game. It was, yeah. I think Colorado's not... The Colorado's best. not a great team, though, but... It's not the best matchup in the world for Cal, because they I do have Paris some big I think Paris Austin had a really poor game down against low. McKinley, right? That, that was, was McKinley's matchup. right return. Yeah. But then who are the other teams that are sort of hovering around that five spot? Uh, I think I saw UCLA in the mix. Yeah, Utah. Utah in the mix, so... You know, these are solid, Oregon, you know, yeah. definitely these are solid, especially if they be like an Oregon. These are solid teams. Yeah. Man. <laughs> Phone dropping on the cars. Phone, yep. Is it in the, 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 the Bermuda Triangle area? Yeah, where'd it go? I think we're definitely, <laughs> this is, now we're getting to like aggressively, like you can tell we're in a car recording this podcast. But I think, I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? I think we're being too rational right now. How so? This team has been so irrational in their play. And the like conference what's has been happened. irrational in their play. The Pac-12 has been completely irrational. We just got to enjoy this ride, man. Literally, literally we are trying to apply logic to a tornado. <laughs> there is nothing to make sense of here. The Pac-12 has been a dumpster fire all year long. Cal is a dumpster fire. It's been more appealing as of late. Who knows what's going to happen, man? There's no logic. We can, Like, we can try to project out, but we honestly have no idea. If they do win, Viking, yeah, sure. I could see that being a lock for him to come back, but at the same time, I could also see his team losing by 30 in the first round. Yeah. I can, and then we're, it's like we woke a- up from a dream and we're like, okay, yeah, back to reality. Viking, uh, this isn't going to work. Yeah, because that's exactly what happened last year at the tournament, you know? Yeah. And last year, Cal and Stanford played each other really well in both the regular season games. You know, so there was the game in Maples where Sewing hits the and one, and then the game at Haas where it's just like this very... The game at Haas last year wasn't very good from like an execution perspective, but it was it was one of those like games that are bad, but it's only saving grace is that it's close. Yeah. You know, one of those types of games. <laughs> so these the games were close, and then Stanford just blows the tires off Cal in the tournament. The tournament, but I think it, that speaks to this whole idea of the tournament being, being an entirely different monster, and you just never know what could happen. They might be partying in Vegas the night before. It might be gambling. <laughs> it might be at the strip club. We don't know what's gonna happen. They're probably man. gonna lock champagne and campaign. <laughs> Who knows? You also gotta. I think it's also worth mentioning that you know this this team doesn't have a Marcus Lee. There's no Kingsley Okoro. There's no Don Coleman. This is a very young team, and there's a. I can sense a lot of that they don't know any better mentality that mm. they're going to they're going to transcend they're not going to shrink to the moment they're going to transcend the moment and just be like we're here no one expects anything out of us just because of how the regular season nobody has gone believes down. in us a little of that nobody believes yeah. in us and Shout that can, out Bill Simmons. and that can be an incredibly dangerous thing especially if you're a tournament or if you're a team like an Oregon like a Utah, like a Colorado, like a UCLA, who actually does have some. Not to say that these teams don't have something to play for, but because these teams, you know, have been in the mix, and you know, these are teams that could foreseeably win this tournament if a few things shake their way. While Cal is like, we're just gonna come through guns a blazing, and we're gonna do what we gotta do. 
Yeah, I mean, that's also the danger, though, because with young teams, you don't know what you're going to get. So we have no no idea. And it's... I, I think that's credit to Viking, though, making these young guys focus and not completely lose hope during this season. Because I know how I would react if I was on a 16-game losing streak. I for sure would have been arrested for something by now. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. I would not have avoided the bookings, I'll tell you that. Yeah, there's definitely some credit to be given. Just so, credit for that. There have been, you know, there have been the blowouts, but then there's also been that mix of close games, and then some of those losses that you can just chop up to inexperience and, you know, the obvious, you know, and lack a, of talent. And a game where, like, one of your main producers on offense, Darius McNeil, has zero points and plays terribly, and you still win. I mean, that's what winning teams do. They're not top-heavy. They figure out a way to be greater than the sum of their parts. So that's like a really, really great sign. Yeah, it definitely is. I'm just, with this whole thing, I'm just trying to instill, (laughs) not to say rationality, but to just, you know. Make sense of this. To make sense of this, we just can't. It's literally like they flipped the switch. We can't forget everything that's happened before this. You know, getting blown out, like the Yale loss, almost losing to Cal Poly, barely holding on against San Jose State. These are things that have, oh, we're hitting the construction zone right now, but these are things These are things that have happened. And, you know, it's just this whole question of can, can eight days and, you know, a week's time from now, can, can a 15 days really be enough to erase two years? It's a hard question to ask. And, you know, there's the money aspect of it. You know, he is going to be getting paid, uh, regardless of whether he's coaching or not, about uh, a million over the next three seasons. He's going to be making fi- uh, five million total. So, and then there's also, like, the, the added the added factor that these guys do know him. They appear to like playing for him, even if tactically he's not the most fundamentally sound coach. I, it's, I don't know. I, I don't know at this point. We're, I'm, just, I'm just talking. I'm <laughs> letting my thoughts spill out into the, no, it's a great the iPhone 8. That, that's where we are. Yeah. Again, these back-to-back podcasts, I feel like we're grasping at Strasser trying to explain what the hell is going on with this team because it's absurd, man. It's really crazy. I don't think even Wyking expected it to go this well. Um, the guys have just stepped up, and we do have to acknowledge the opponents have kind of really... We haven't gotten anyone's A game yet, so I'd like to see our A game versus someone else's A game. That's true. Like Because what? we've had our A games or B-plus games against people's like F or D-minuses. Yeah, like Washington, so they didn't have the best game in the of world. Illusion. Washington State didn't have Jeff Pollard. And then Washington State was off. Then Robert Franks didn't have the best game. This no. game, they missed 21-3. So there is this this combination of the opponent, like catching the opponents on a bad night. Yeah. And then just that never-say-die attitude. And you could even make the argument that if, every, if Washington and Washington State and Stanford play up to their potential, that I mean, if Stanford is a shoots a normal percentage from three... They might win this game. Because they almost came back from (laughs) shooting 
so god-awfully in that first half. And then they come back to three at one point. I mean, if you think if they had three or four of those in the first half, they might win this game. So, I'd like to see this team go against uh, a Pac-12 opponent when they're actually on their game. Yeah. And see how I'm, they respond to that. I'm trying to think, because we've presented this as a very two-sided discussion. I'm trying to think of a third perspective or any other perspective that we may not have touched upon, but I think it's as simple as, like, we've pretty much hit on the, the main points. I think it's it's that binary. You know, it really we, is. So, I think we're about at the 45-minute mark. Even though we still got a, a couple miles to go, we are going to have to cut it off and adhere to the 45-minute mark. But, you know, next week is going to... I'm going to be excited to do next week's podcast as well. Who knows what's going to happen in Vegas. I'm going to be traveling out Just there reporting live from the safe. scene. I may go and try to sneak into the tournament. <laughs> we have not determined yet. Figure it out. I know a guy. We know multiple guys. Just say I know a guy. Hopefully we don't get fired from our positions. Yeah. Hopefully I have a better experience at the Shake Shack in Vegas and they don't give me a plain hamburger with nothing on it. Wow. That was a very, that was a very horrible. Not a good look, Vegas. That Do was better. A- be better tomorrow. We did have a solid experience at Shake Shack today. They actually did hook up with all the accoutrement. I th- Very bougie. I have been seeing the In-N-Out versus Whataburger debate recently on the timeline. I think you all know where we stand. In-N-Burger, In-N-Out, In-N-Out, In-N-Out all the way. All day. Got Give a tattooed that. on my chest. <laughs> Give me that double meat with a side of fries. Let me get a water with a little bit of lemon hey, in it. Hey, you hey, already hey. know how that goes. Hey, but hey. This has been at what episode number 16. Episode number 16 Time is a flat of the circle. One Golden Moment Podcast. We are passing Oracle Arena, the place where champions are built. Woo! We are in the Toyota Yaris, the place where champions are built. Justice De Los Santos, Rory O'Toole, three in a row. Signing off.